Thanks for tuning in to the Renew Life Church Lubbock podcast today. We hope this message encourages you as you allow God's word and his presence to change your life. All right, let's get going in here. Thanks, Keith. Can we give your worship team a round of applause? Tell them thanks for what they do. Just take just a second, just to explain a little bit. I'm kind of wired this way, but um, in case you're new to this, uh, this whole tongues thing, and Keith says, pray in the spirit. The Bible actually talks about two different types of tongues, a tongue and interpretation, and then your own personal prayer language. And I, you notice that Keith didn't get in the microphone and start yelling. Uh, volume is not a sign of maturity. It's a sign of personality. So if you like to do it loud, well, you're probably just a loud person. And uh, your family would probably attest to that. But um, if you're not, that's okay too. But uh, the Bible actually talks about that in, in the book of Jude. It says, stir yourself up on your most holy faith, praying in other tongues. So it's a command. So it's not something where the Holy Spirit just takes you over and makes you do something you don't want to do. But uh, I love moments like that where, uh, as a leader, you know, Keith directs us to, hey, let's partner with heaven. And sometimes our, our natural intellect and understanding cannot ascend to what God's wanting to do. And so the best thing for us to do is to align ourselves in spirit with a spiritual language and, 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 and pray in agreement with what he's saying. And that's all that that is. So if, you, if that was new for you and, and maybe you don't have your prayer language, no big deal. I uh, just want to bring a little understanding there. But anyway, uh, my name is Braden. In case you're new here, I'm the lead pastor at Renew Life Church. We're honored that you're here. Uh, your pastors, Keith and Natalie, they do a great job here at the Love It Canvas. Can we give them a hand clap? Honor them today. On Keith's birthday. Keith's birthday. Don't let the gray hair fool you. He's not even 40. He's not even 40 yet. So anyway, uh, love those guys. Hey, if you got your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 9. Um, I'm, I've got a lot to say, and this is going to be a little bit unique uh, in that, and I guess I should just share this. One of my, uh, maybe the main job that I have as the lead pastor is not to preach every Sunday. There's a lot of good preachers, uh, but one of my main jobs in alignment with the rest of the leadership team here is to, is to set the direction and the temperature of this organization, to be, a ther- to be a thermostat and a compass at the same time. It's not just talk about direction. Here's where we're going. But oftentimes, um, what it's going to feel like as we're going is also important. If I were to tell everybody in this room that craziest thing happened, I, I became a billionaire this week, and I'm taking everybody on a trip to Hawaii. Uh, how many of you guys will be okay with that direction? Well, what if I told you that I also felt like before we flew to Hawaii, we were supposed to walk to Los Angeles to catch the cheaper flight? Um, all of a sudden, the direction took a little bit of a turn there because I'm like, well, I, I liked it when we were going to Hawaii, but how we're getting there, I'm not so sure I'm up for that. And so it's not just where we're going sometimes. It's actually how we're, how we're getting there. Some of you would say, if I said we're going camping, you're like, I have no desire to do that. But if I said we're going to a place, it's a $1,500 a night glamping tent with a spa and a golf course on it. It's like, oh, well, I didn't know you said glamping. I thought you said camping. You know? So again, it, there's, it's not just where we're going. It's how we're going to get there. And, and, and today I just feel really strongly to share uh, from my heart uh, just some, some, some vision, but not just where we're going, but just... Um, the best way I know to explain it is just an, an edge I want our ministry to have, a posture that I want our, our ministry to have. And I think that we can identify this in Scripture, see this in Scripture. So that's, that's my goal is to clarify this as much as possible. Uh, we'll, we'll begin reading in Acts chapter 9, verse 20 here in just a second. But just a little preface this a little bit. The, we're going to talk about the life of Paul uh, to start with. And most of you would have heard of Paul or know of Paul. You've heard of his road to Damascus experience where Paul was not just 
a non-believer. He was an anti-believer. I mean, he, he hated Christians. He targeted Christians. He tortured Christians. And most people, or some people would know about his, his conversion on the road to Damascus. Not as many would know that actually on that road, he was on the way to meet with the, the high priest to actually get legal permission to torture Christians more. I mean, this guy was not in any way, shape, or form turning his heart towards God. There was no part of him that was starting to soften. He was getting harder and worse. And so what I love about the things of God is he's pursuing us even when we're not pursuing him. He's so kind. He's so good. And that's exactly what happened to the Apostle Paul. The Lord shows up. He's blinded. The Lord, he hears a voice, and it was confirmed because some some of the guys were there with him. They heard the voice, too, and they were scared because they're like, who is this voice? We don't see anybody, but we hear this. And so he has this radical, radical encounter with God. And, um, and, he, and, you know, the next day, the whole thing with Ananias, the scales come off, he's baptized, uh, and he's born again. Uh, Paul has now realized, I've been going the wrong direction this whole time. And so I want to pick up here in verse 9, uh, I'm sorry, here in verse 20, chapter 9, verse 20, which is immediately following Paul's conversion. It says in verse 20, immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues, that he really is the Son of God. Then all who heard were amazed and said, is this not he who destroyed those who might call upon the name in Jerusalem and has come here for that purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests. So at first people were like, no, you're not, you're not tricking me with this. I know who you are. And uh, they did not really realize what had actually happened. But Paul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dealt in Damascus, proving that he, or that this Jesus really is the Christ. Now after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot came to uh, became known to Saul, and they, ma- they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and led him down through the wall in a large basket. And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. I'm going to read that again. And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. Um, this is a, a little bit tricky. You can't just read the New Testament from left to right and it's in chronological order. It's not the way that it works. And so sometimes you get the book of Acts who's got all, a summary of all of these things that were happening. Then you go back through the epistles and you'll find timelines where you can connect. And it's like, okay, these things connect. And Paul, he, he, we see this in, in Acts where it says he tried to join the disciples, but Paul actually gave the firsthand account of this to the church in Galatia, in Galatians chapter, Galatians chapter 1, verse 15. So I want to tell you Paul's version of when he went to the disciples uh, in Jerusalem. Verse 15 says, But even before I was born, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. Then it pleased him to reveal his son to me so that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. So he's telling about this, this encounter that he had with God. When this happened, now pay close attention here. He goes, I did not rush out to consult with any human being, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to consult with those who were apostles before I was. Instead, I went away into Arabia and I later returned to Damascus. Then three years later, I went to Jerusalem, but this is not the one he's talking about earlier. He says, I went to Jerusalem to get to know Peter and I stayed with him for 15 days. The only other apostle I met at the time was James, the Lord's brother. Verse 20, interesting. I declare before God that what I am writing to you is not a lie. Now, isn't it interesting that he took the time to say that phrase? Hey, I just want you to know, this actually happened. This is no joke. This is the reality of what actually happened. And he, what he wants us to see here, in part, is that when he, first, when he first had his encounter with God, he just went straight into ministry. He, he, he didn't go to consult with anybody. He didn't go join a church. He just, he knew his encounter was real. He knew what had happened to him was real. And he immediately began his ministry. 
And uh, verse 21 says, after that visit, I went north to the provinces of Syria and that word, and still the churches in Christ that are in Judea didn't know me personally. All they knew was that people were saying, the one who used to persecute us is now preaching the very faith he tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. So what I want you to see is that Paul has this encounter. He, be, he immediately begins his ministry, partners with no one. He's got a call on his life. He's aware of the call on his life. The encounter that he had had with Jesus was so real. He knows what's happened to him. He could not stand it. He had to go preach. And so he's going, he's preaching. People are getting saved. There's, there's miracles. There's things happening. And, um, and at a minimum, he was curious about the other disciples. He was curious about what was going on in Jerusalem. It says he went to Jerusalem the first time because he just wanted to meet Peter. He wanted to hear about this guy that he apparently had heard some stories about. Something about the life of Peter intrigued him. And then it says he had a touch run in with James. He got, had, a, had a conversation with James. This is, this is not uh, a, a significant deal to him. What he wanted you to know is that at first he consulted no one. He connected to no one. Now, let's keep reading. Galatians chapter 2, verse 1. says, then 14 years later, I went back to Jerusalem again, this time with Barnabas, and Titus came along too. Now, I want to pause right there. At a minimum, depending on how you add these th two things up, from the time that Paul had his encounter with the Lord and repented and turned and began to follow Jesus, to this moment now when he's coming back to Jerusalem is... 14 to 17 years, most likely 17 years. So we're talking about a guy who's now been in ministry. He's been the, the Apostle Paul, so to speak, to a degree, for 17 years. How many of you guys believe if you've been doing something for 17 years, you've got some stuff figured out? You've been doing anything for 17 years, it's like, okay, I, I've kind of got my head wrapped around some things here. But I want you to see the posture of Paul right here, starting in verse 2. He says, I went there because God revealed to me that I should go. So this wasn't just a, I was curious about Peter. Last, remember last time he said, I wanted to meet Peter. Curious about Peter. But this time he said, no, no, this time the Lord told me to go. This time I had a revelation about something, and he told me to go. It says, while I was there, I love the scripture. While I was there, I met privately with those considered to be the leaders of the church. And I shared with them this message that I'd been preaching to the Gentiles. I wanted to make sure that we were in agreement. We were in agreement. After 17 years, Paul all of a sudden starts changing the way he talks. And Paul's ministry is no longer about me. Paul's ministry is about we. I wanted to make sure that we were in agreement for fear that all of my efforts had been wasted and I was running this race for nothing. And they supported me and did not even demand that my companion Titus be circumcised, though he was a Gentile. Man, wouldn't that be great news if you had just got hired and <laughs> saying that's probably a good thing for Titus. Um, sorry, I'm like half emotional and then half an idiot, so you just gotta bear with me. Man, I, man when I see this, I'm telling you, this just, this, this gets on me because the posture, the, what I'm reading here when Paul's explaining his journey in the faith, his journey in ministry, it, 17 years after he had had this, first of all, anybody else's salvation experience come with the Lord himself showing up and blinding you and speaking to you and then the scales fell off your eyes? Anybody else's salvation experience looked like that? Very few people had an encounter that drastic. 
It's like this guy's, his experience was real. He didn't need anybody to tell him, well, actually, when you get saved, you're actually not supposed to have scales on your eyes. You probably got something else. No, no. He knew what he had got. He He didn't need a Bible to teach him. He knew what had happened. He had seen, he had met Jesus. He had gone into ministry. In 17 year, for 17 years, he had preached the gospel. He had seen people saved. He had seen signs, wonders, and miracles done at his hands. And originally, he wants you to know, I didn't talk to nobody. I didn't consult nobody. I didn't, I didn't need to talk to nobody. I had a word from God. My experience was real. The call of God on my life was real. I didn't see the need to connect or consult with any other human being. But then 17 years later, and we all agreed that after 17 years, you learn some stuff. 17 years, some stuff starts to happen. And the Lord says, hey, you've done some things, but you haven't even begun to do the thing that I've called you to do. And he says he revealed to him, and he went humbly and teachable to the other disciples. And he said, hey, I'm not the only one that's ever met Jesus. I'm not the only one that's ever done some things. And I need your wisdom. I need your covering. I want to do this together. I've done it on my own and had some success, but the Lord has shown me I'm nothing alone. I can be something, or I'm very little alone, I should say, but I could be something more if we join forces. And he humbly submitted. He humbly submitted his teachings to the apostles and the disciples and said, hey, are we on the same page about this? Are we, are we, on, are we on the same page about this? What is, what is Paul understanding here? It takes spiritual maturity to realize that you need spiritual family. It takes spiritual maturity to realize that you need spiritual family. I've met a lot of people that were really anointed and really called and really started a ministry on their own because they had a word from God. And you know what? They probably had some fruit. Guarantee they had some fruit. Paul had fruit. Paul had some things going his direction. Paul saw some people get saved. Paul saw some churches get planted. Paul saw some miracles. I'm not saying that you can't see any fruit on your own. You can love Jesus. You can be called. All of those things can be 100% true. I just propose to you that as you grow, you should learn. I shouldn't be doing this alone. I shouldn't be doing this by myself. In fact, you'll learn that the Scripture says that there is wisdom in the counsel of many. One can put a 1,000 to flight. Two can put... 10,000 flat. The longer you're in this, the more you should fight to be in community, not fight to be heard and understood that you got a call on your life. If you don't see the value of spiritual family yet, I'm not saying you don't love Jesus. I'm just saying you got some growing to do. There's some development to be done has nothing to do with your experience not being real, your call not being real, or any of those things. It's just, okay, well, stick around. Do it, for, do it by yourself for a little bit longer. But keep listening, because one day you may have a Paul encounter experience where he goes, and the Lord revealed to me that I should go and connect myself to spiritual family. It's why we value and believe you will never become what God's called you to become if you're not connected to a group of people, and I, can I just say this? I'm not talking about church membership because there's no way I will never, never know all of you. It's not possible. As the church continues to grow, the church in Midland's got about 1,400 members, and anymore, I don't know who, I don't know most of them. I know very few of them. So I'm not talking about 
Now, I'm not talking about this where someone can stand on a stage. You can show up, not be known, not be heard. No one really knows anything about your life. We, we hear some scripture. You know what's going on right now? This is called the sower sows the word. I'm up here sowing the word. I, I'm sending the word. To the best of my ability, I'm, I'm sowing the word. And you know what matters the most in terms of fruit in your life? It's like Sivo taught us last week or started to teach last week. It's not, even that the, it's not even the word. The word is perfect. The word of God is perfect. It's the soil. So on a Sunday morning, you come to a church service and a sower sows the word. But let me tell you what happens when you connect a spiritual family. They don't just sow the word. They know you. They've watched you for a year, two years, five years, ten years. They've watched trends in your life. They actually know how you talk to your wife when no one else is around. They actually know how you parent your kids. They actually know when you go out to eat if you have two, three, five, ten cocktails. They know you. And it takes spiritual family in your life to go, hang on a second. What's that about? I, I will ne- there's things, most of you in here will never have a meal. I'll never, I'll never see you in your own home and watch how you navigate your own home. I won't see that. Spiritual, spiritual family will. And there's something that happens when you are truly known and connected to spiritual family. It's called real discipleship. Y'all seem super excited about this. <laughs> Let's keep reading in, in Acts chapter 9, start verse, go to verse 26. It says, when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. Now, this particular situation when he says he, him, he tried to join the disciples, this is not the first time when he had just said he kind of wanted to learn a little bit about Peter. This is not when he had an impromptu conversation with James. No, this was the time when he said, the Lord revealed to me that I'm supposed to go and connect to these people. Because notice he says, this time when he went, he tried to join the disciples. So he's letting you know which of these trips to Jerusalem we're actually talking about here. Now, we've already covered this. Was the heart posture of Paul when he showed up, was it good? Absolutely it was good. Was it humble? Absolutely, it was humble. Was it right? Was Paul doing the right thing? Had God actually told him to do this? And was he doing it with the right attitude? Yes, he was. But he still couldn't get into the meeting because they were afraid. Enter this guy. It says, but Barnabas. Everybody say, but Barnabas. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. And he declared to them how he had seen the Lord out on the road. And he had spoken to him how he preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. And he was with them in Jerusalem coming in and going out. I propose to you that the call of God on Paul's life hinged on a Barnabas in his life. Because we all need a Barnabas. We all need a Barnabas. That even when we're doing things right, we need, we need somebody else in our life that sees in us what nobody else sees. That believes in us when nobody else believes in us. That it, when, every, when so many other things about our life don't look right, someone sees through the, the filter of a father and goes, yeah. But if you look through all that stuff, there's some gold in there. There's something special in there. We don't all just need a Barnabas. We all need to be a Barnabas. We've got to, even if you're not naturally, I'll, I'll just tell you right now, Keith is naturally a Barnabas. I am naturally not. And I can't tell you how many times Keith has had to tell me, like, hey, like, you, you know that some of the things that you're saying, no one else thinks the way you're thinking there. And when you say these words, this is actually how it feels when you say these words. And I'm like, really? Bunch of wussies? You know <laughs> But I, I, I'm, not, I'm not a natural Barnabas. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just not. But I, 
I learned to be a Barnabas because I'm connected to a Barnabas. Every single one of us, whether you're in the natural edit or not, we're supposed to be learning from the rest of the body. We all need a Barnabas. I've had Barnabases in my life. I know the value of a Walt Landers, who's my pastor, who saw me when really no one else saw me and, and, and opened doors for me, introduced me to prophets, and just thought about me. There were times, in fact, I'll tell you, I would not have the, the third kid, our, our Evan, which a lot of you know the miracle story of how she was born. I would not have had her in our lives if, if it hadn't been for a Walt Landers who just kept me on his heart who kept me on his heart and one day in a, in a meeting was listening to this prophet and thought to himself, I want Braden to get to hear this. And he picked up the phone and says, hey, there's this, oh, there's this South African prophet in town. He's at my church. I think you're supposed to drive over here right now. I think you're supposed to drive over here right now and, and be there. I drove two and a half hours to San Angelo. Yes, sir, whatever you think I need. I drove to San Angelo. He prophesied we were supposed to have a third child, child and we do. But I, that wouldn't even be true in my life if it wasn't been for a Barnabas in my life that believed in me, that thought about me, that considered me and everything else he was doing. Took time for me. Wouldn't have happened. Dave Harvey, Dave Harvey's the, uh, the, the director of uh, Bethel Leaders Network in, in Redding, California. Dave's the same way. When I first started coming to some meetings, nobody knew who I was. We were not, we are not super Beth. I'm not personally super Bethel. In fact, super Bethel people look at me and they're like, you're, not, you're like the least Bethel, Bethel person that I, I really know. <laughs> And, uh, and I'm really not. Like, I, when I go to Bethel and see certain things, I'm like, man, y'all are still pretty weird sometimes. And, you know, <laughs> I just freaking love them. I love the weird. I just, they're different than I am. And uh, so I, but he saw through all that in me. And he's like, yeah, but there's something in him. And he invited me into meetings. And he invited me into rooms. And there are people in my life that I now call spiritual fathers, not because I belong in that room, because Dave Harvey opened the door for me to get in that room. I know what it's like to have people think about me, see the gold in me, and think about me and say, hey, how can I promote him? How can I stick up for him? How much better off would we all be if we woke up every day thinking, how can I promote someone else, not how can I promote me? That's a Barnabas. There would be no Paul if there was no Barnabas. The Lord told me to prophesy this over, over you today, and, and I, I mean this. Some of you in here are unknown, and God is sending a Barnabas to you. Some of you feel deeply unknown and unseen. And the Lord is raising up a Barnabas to see you like no one has ever seen you before. To invite you into rooms you've never been invited, invited into before. To see the gold in you and to say it out loud and to prophesy it over you when no one else. You, some of you in here have had parents that have never said one good thing about you. And God is sending a Barnabas to finish what they should have done. There are some of you in here, you're not unknown, you're too known. Anybody know what I mean when I say too known? Oh, I know who you are. I've seen you. I've read your name in the paper. I've heard stories about you. I've, my, an old, old girl at the school told me what happened with you and your husband. She told me why y'all got a divorce. Some of you in here are too known. And you've been living in this lie that you'll never be known again because, because of some of the things that you've done. And I'm telling you, God's sending you a Barnabas to see what's actually on the inside of you. Because the Spirit of God knows what you've been doing in here. He knows the repentance. He knows the brokenheartedness. He's seen the tears. And now he knows that you're pondering, will I ever get another chance? And the Lord is sending a Barnabas into your life to see that heart and call that thing into existence. Some of us are unknown. Some of us are too known. Doesn't matter. We all need a Barnabas. Every single person needs a Barnabas in their life. Now, Cue the hard right turn. Um, 
The title of this message today is Everybody Needs a Barnabas Until They Don't. Everybody Needs a Barnabas Until They Don't. Let's, let's, let's read here in uh, Acts chapter 15, verse 36, and I'll start to explain. It says, Then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Now, so this is after Barnabas has welcomed Paul into the fold. He's now accepted by the other disciples. There's been ministry happening. Paul and Barnabas have already done a lot of things together. There's this dynamic duo. A lot has been done. And Paul has now assumed this leadership role. We'll get into maybe more of that later, but it's now been clearly recognized uh, by the writer in terms of even the order in which he names the names in certain scriptures uh, and by the other apostles that Saul has now ascended to a place where they realize, oh, he's He's actually the leader of this thing. He's actually got a call on his life. And um, so Paul says, let's, let's do this again. Now Barnabas, verse 38, it says, Now Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark. But Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to work. Here's what happened. They had gone on a trip before, Paul and Barnabas, and Barnabas had a nephew named John Mark. And John Mark went with them on their, one of their first journeys. And in the middle of the journey, he quit. Don't really know what happened. I don't know if it was too much for him. I, I don't know, the, the, and the scripture doesn't teach us this, but what we do know is that he quit. He gave up, and Paul, in the second time around, said, you know what? He's not going with us this time. He's not ready. He's not, this is not the time for John Mark. And man, Barnabas did not like this. Barnabas did not like this. He said, no, he's He's going. Now, not to mention, he's got a little family pressure here, too. We're talking about his nephew. I mean, can you imagine when John Mark goes home and tells his mama, well, Barnabas Paul said, I don't get to go this time. Sister's coming. She's, she's calling Barnabas saying, hey, listen here, Hot Rod. You know, so there's family pressure here. Now, let's keep reading in verse 39. It says, then con the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. You know what they call this? A church split. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Sicily, strengthening other churches. I want to read this in another, another translation. This is the NASB. Now it turned into such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another. And Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left after being entrusted by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he was traveling through Syria and Sicily, strengthening other churches. Now there's a lot to unpack here. A uh, couple things. Um, first of all, we have to acknowledge that Paul and Barnabas, this is, this is no joke. This is a power couple. This is some guys that have done some things. This is, when we're talking about Paul and Barnabas, Barnabas who so recognized the call on Paul's life, he's the one that made sure he got in with the other disciples. We're talking about good friends. Anybody else been in church long enough to see some good friends all of a sudden, not so good friends? This happens, it's ugly, it's nasty, and it was happening right here. It's not like this has never happened before. But these, these guys had done some things, and the truth of the matter is, both of them were called. In fact, if you go back and study the life of Barnabas, he was a Levite, meaning he was called to ministry. This wasn't a guy that found himself in ministry and wasn't supposed to be there. He was a Levite. This, is what, this was his assignment, this was his calling. Obviously, we've talked about Paul. The Lord revealed him to his calling. We're talking about two men that have a call of God on our life and have done some things. And it, if you know much about this story, there's not a lot of detail surrounding who is right here. Is Paul right? Barnabas right? We've got two, two heavy hitters here. Who's right? Somebody got to be right. 
particularly uh, redemptive gift prophets, guys that see things in black and white. Do I got any black and white thinkers in here? You're already wanting to know. Tell me who's right here. Some, somebody is right and somebody is wrong. Now, for the record, sometimes that is true. And we're going to kind of tinker with that a little bit. I will warn you that sometimes trying to figure out who's right and who's wrong leads to more hurt than it does good. I would propose to you that I need to know exactly what is right has led to thousands of denominations that do more fighting than they do praying together. So you got to be careful when you start dabbling down this road of right or wrong. But us redemptive gift prophets can't help ourselves sometimes. We just got, let's dig in here a little bit more. Let's make sure the Lord's not trying to reveal something here. And in this particular situation, I think there's more to be seen. I, um, I don't know if you've noticed this, but the Bible is pretty consistent in that it doesn't mind sharing the good, bad, and the ugly of people to make sure that we don't follow down the same road. He, he didn't just tell us, oh, David was a man after God's own heart. It doesn't just stop there. It tells us all the other stuff. What's, what's going on there? It's the Spirit of God saying, hey, I want you to see this person's life. I want to see where they made it. I want to see where they missed it. And I want, to I want to teach you some things why you shouldn't go down that road. So the Bible's pretty consistent. It doesn't have a hard time uh, or doesn't have a problem exposing when someone's missed the mark. And in this particular situation, I think that the, the, the answer is right in front of our face. Notice this difference. Go back to that scripture in Acts chapter 15. Verse 40, it says, But Paul chose Silas and left after being entrusted by the brothers. To, I'm sorry, let me go back a little, let me go back a little bit because I, I want to read the other part. How did Barnabas go? Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. Paul chose Silas, and he left only after, big word there, after being entrusted by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. Let me make this extreme, as clear as I know how to make it. Barnabas went into ministry. Paul was sent. Barnabas went. Barnabas didn't need anybody else to approve. Barnabas has a word from the Lord. Barnabas knows that Paul's wrong. And it's clear that the other brethren were there because they blessed one of them. One of them left with a letter of recommendation. One of them left with grace. One of them left alone. Let, let me just say this to you. We just saw this in the life of Paul. How did Paul's life start? I got a word from God and I don't need anybody. And then 17 years later, what did he realize? Oh, shoot. I need somebody. I propose to you, Paul started alone. He matured into family. He started alone, but he matured into family. Barnabas started in family, and he defected into isolation. I don't even think it's, and we're going to talk a little bit about John Mark, but I'll just be honest with you. I don't even know if John Mark's even the issue here. I don't even know if, who was right. Should, should John Mark have been grounded and sent to his room? <laughs> or should he have got to go on the next trip? I don't, I have an opinion. I can, as honest as I can be, that's about what it is. I can give you an opinion, and it'll work sometimes. The bigger issue is who, no matter what, stuck with the brethren who didn't. There's varying opinions on, um, uh, you know, what happened to Barnabas, 
uh, there's a lot of commentary out there. Keith and I, we've, we've joked about this. He and I have really had, it, which is really good, we've had a lot of, I'd say, contention in some ways around this because I, I'm a natural, more wired like a Paul. He's more like a Barnabas. And so he's just, he's even had it prophesied over him, you know, son of encouragement. He's just naturally good at this. And, and he, I appreciate the pushback. It's like, hey, how, how do you know Paul was right? You don't ever say Paul was right. And I was like, well, how do you know Barnabas was right? You know? So he and I have had a lot of great conversations about this. But here's what I would say. Be careful of adding to Scripture. Just be careful. Because there, there's a lot of commentary out there that Paul went on, or Barnabas went on to mentor Mark, all based on the assumption that they left together. Well, I can tell you right now, there's a lot of people that go somewhere together that don't stay together. So be careful what you read into it. And if, and if you go back and read Mark's gospel, because I have some of the commentaries you read, it's like, yeah, if it wasn't for Mark, I'm sorry, if it wasn't for Barnabas sticking with Mark, we wouldn't have had Mark's gospel. Well, if you go back and read Mark's gospel, Mark's gospel wasn't what he learned from Barnabas. Mark's gospel was what he learned from Peter. It's Peter's account. So there was a relationship that was formed in, in, in the life of, uh, of John, Mark, and Peter that you'd have to assume some things, which I'm not saying that it didn't happen. You just have to assume some more things. Now, I want to read you this, this, and I think this is going to help us here. Galatians chapter 2, because this redemptive gift profit in me has got to make somebody right. It was a joke. <laughs> Verse 11. Now, when Peter had come to Antioch, I would this is Paul speaking. Now, when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. In other words, I confronted him, and he was wrong. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. So what do we got going on here? We got Peter being Peter. Anybody remember the story of Peter? And, and Peter is, Lord, they can all run, they can all run away. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be the last man standing. And who was the one that couldn't even stand up to the little girl? Peter. Why? He had a fear of man issue. He had a fear issue to start with. But he had a fear of man issue. He cared too much about what other people thought. So much that he denied Jesus. Then we see this story. We all know how it goes. Peter comes back after he is, is raised from the dead. And he comes and he restores, personally restores Peter. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. Feed my sheep. And he restores Peter back. Peter's back in the situation with the upper room in the book of Acts. When the Holy Spirit comes, who's the one that gets to preach the first message under the power of the Holy Spirit? Peter. So we, we got a guy who's had a rocky road, but Peter's done some stuff. And yet here we have again, Peter being Peter. He's still struggling with fear of man. He knows for a fact that what Jesus did was for the Jew and the Gentile. But every now and then when he go hang out with Gentiles and he hear some Jews are coming, he'd just scoot back. I wasn't talking to him. I wasn't listening to him. It's like, you little punk. What the heck have we been preaching this whole time? And that was Paul. That's Paul's attitude. Nuh-uh. He didn't cut nobody no slack. And he says, what he's saying right here, he's, I confronted him. I confronted him right to his face because he was wrong because he was being a, a little two-faced sucker. <laughs> Probably could use some other words. But. Listen to verse 13. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. Now, I gotta be honest with you. I, it's, it, it has done taking me some digging to understand and put these timelines together because like I said earlier, I think I said earlier, it could have been the first service. You can't read the Bible just left or right. There's Acts as a summary. The epistles kind of fall in there sometime, somewhere and you just really, you got to do a little more digging and, and to, to figure out um, 
when, did, when was this falling away? When was this where, where Barnabas was carried away with her hypocrisy? Because I just want you to know that when Scripture says you got carried away, that means you started following the devil. This means you, went, you got off track. You got off course big time. You, you, got a, you, you, you were off the path, so to speak. And in my head, I'm like, you know what? And I'll just be really honest with you. When I first was digging into this, I was like, I guarantee you, it was after him and, Pete, him and Paul had their little fight. He got in strife, started listening to something he wasn't supposed to be listening to, and I'll bet you anything. That was where I was thinking, because I mean, we're talking about a four-year gap here, but we're trying to piece some, some things together in this little four-year gap. And, uh, but finally found a, a, a true biblical timeline on some of this stuff and a guy that pieced this together. What's interesting is this scripture here actually happened before the situation happened with, with Paul and Barnabas and John Mark. You say, why is that so important? I'm just going to tell you, when people that I've respected and looked up to and I've listened to their preachings, I tend to just believe what they're preaching. Anybody else? You, you, you find a church that's got a good track record. You've seen them. Now, I want you to put yourself in Barnabas' shoes. He's heard the, the, the stories of Peter. He's heard the message. He, he knows the history of Peter. And so when Peter starts, Peter and some of the other Jews, they start getting into some, some wrong stuff, some hypocrisy. I don't know that I think Barnabas had a wrong heart. I think he just got off track because of some bad teaching. I don't think it was just this rebellious thing in Barnabas that, no, I can't be taught, I can't, no, no. He got it from Peter, no slouch. But I want you to notice that there's, there's, there's two people involved in this confrontation. Both were confronted. Peter was, Peter's made it clear, Paul confronted, or Paul made it clear, I confronted Peter straight to his face. But I want you to know that Barnabas, he got sucked into this whole thing too, carried him off too. Now what's crazy to me is after Paul gives that account, couple years later, he said, hey, Barnabas, let's go on another mission trip together. And you're telling me he could have found nobody else better to go with him on this mission trip than the guy that just got carried away with hypocrisy? Why is that significant? Because we're talking about Paul, the apostle of grace. This is not an apostle that doesn't know how to look at someone and say, you know what? You deserve a second chance. And I propose to you that he looked at Barnabas and made, there's a potential, this is a bit of conjecture, but there's a potential and say, you know what? There was a time that people didn't believe in me, and you did, Barnabas. This is my time to believe in you when no one else does. And there's a good chance that Paul's returning the favor to Barnabas, saying, you know what? I'm going to be your Barnabas this time. And he gave him a second chance. And even though he had defected, even though he had been carried away, he says, hey, let, let's do this again. Then you got this situation where you got a Barnabas who's kind of on the comeback. How many of you guys know when you're on the comeback, you probably need to be very careful with what you're determined you know. Because if you're so, you were so determined you knew a bunch of things earlier and you were carried away with hypocrisy. So when you're coming back, there's got to be a heart of humility. But in this situation with John Mark, there, I don't see no humility here with Barnabas. Saying, nope, I says he was determined. He's coming with us. And it's almost as if he could not see that Paul might see something that he didn't see. And Keith and I, talk, we were talking about this when we were hashing some of this stuff out. This thing could have gone a whole other direction. This thing could have gone a whole other direction. This could have been a whole conversation like many that have gone, happened with me and Keith where it's like, hey, I'm not seeing what you're seeing, to be quite honest with you. But I know we ain't splitting this up. I, I know if I want to see the whole picture, I know in part, I prophesy in part, you know in part, you prophesy in part. If I want to see the whole part, i got to stay in the spiritual family. And Paul had already been, had shown us his desire for spiritual family. So, in this particular situation, I propose the biggest issue wasn't exactly what to do with Mark. 
It was one chose to be connected, one didn't. One was in humility, one wasn't. But if we take this road to Mark, and this is why I say, everyone needs a Barnabas in their life until you don't. Because I'll just tell you, there's a whole other side to this thing where I th- it's most charismatics. I'm just going to say that. I don't, don't know anybody to listen to our podcast or listen to me preach. saying like it's going all over the world with this. But um, most, most charismatics, they struggle with a theology of suffering. We struggle with this, especially American charismatics. I mean, it's all supposed to be good, right? The problem with that is that's actually not biblical. And in this particular situation, Paul's a dad, and he's got a son and a, and a child in John Mark that he realizes he's not going to learn his lesson if even after he quit, he gets invited right on back to the next trip. John Mark's got a call on his life, and he needs to realize there's consequences, Hot Rod. There's consequences. There's not, your salvation was free. Your ministry is not. Listen to me here. This is a big one. When we start talking about grace, yes. But what are we talking about? Your salvation. Your eternity. Let me tell you what's not guaranteed to you on the cross by just believing in the cross. The call of God on your life. I can tell that one's going to need to sit in the crock pot for a minute before it gets soft. Paul, Paul's, he's been doing this 17 years. He realizes. And I've gone back. I, was, I called my pastor about this, and I was like, hey, help me understand here. Is Paul ever wrong in Scripture? I asked him what we were talking about. He goes, oh, yeah. So he, he chopped it up for me a little bit. I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. And um, he's been doing this for a little bit. Paul realizes, I'm not going to, if I don't have somebody in my life, if I don't have things in my life that are calling me on my stuff and not just saying yes to anything I think I want, I'm never going to get what I'm called to be. Parents, listen up. I don't, I don't just need you loving your kids in what we love. I need you training your kids. Did you, that's the, did you know that's the most scriptural word as it, as it pertains to parenting? That the word train is more scriptural than love? Train. When you're, when you're in training, when you're in two-a-days, do you think your football coaches care if you throw up? No, they love it. <laughs> this is a joy to watch you suffer. They put you through more than you should ever have to go through. Why? Because they know they're building something in you that you're going to need in the fourth quarter. And you've got an apostle here who's looking at a guy going, yeah, you, I'm sure you've got to call a God in your life, but you ain't ready. And you've got a Barnabas, and this is typical of, of Barnabas at times, they have a hard time seeing anything but the gold, which is a good thing. But there are other gifts that go, yeah, but I've got a little more of a critical eye, and they seem to be a little more discerning in a couple, a couple of areas. And that's what was going on here. Paul saw something Barnabas didn't. But Barnabas didn't have the same connection, the commitment to spiritual family. He's like, no, I'm out. Paul said, I wish it would have gone that way. Keith and I have had the conversation where it should have gone like this. Bro, I did not, I don't, you know I'm going to get in a whole bunch of trouble from my sister. When John Mark comes home, throws a suck in the dirt, tells him I fired him. And I don't see what you're seeing, but I'm not, I'm not splitting. We're not doing this. I would even propose that more happened in John Mark's life because he got confronted with his disobedience and immaturity than happened by just being believed. Because I'm going to tell you what you don't need in your life in seasons like that when the Lord's putting pressure on you. 
when you, there's a discipline being brought to you or spiritual families confront you, let me tell you what you don't need. You don't need a Barnabas going, man, I can't believe they're talking to me like that. I cannot believe they don't see that. I see it in you. I see the call of God in you. Don't act like the other guy doesn't either. Be careful. But an immature Barnabas, that's what they do. They can't believe they talk to you that way. That harsh sucker, no grace, no forgiveness. I can't believe they pulled you off the worship team. I mean, just a little porn. <laughs> I love awkward stuff. But I've seen this happen in churches where a church, a, a church leader comes in and confronts in a situation. It's like, well, I mean, they, they were too harsh on you. They were too hard on you. You shouldn't have done that. Shouldn't have fooled you like that. Shouldn't have, are they perfect? Who, are they, who do they think they are? You better be careful when God's working something out in you and applying pressure and applying pain and applying something that's actually going to shape you into the thing that God's called you to be, that you don't start listening to voices that tell you, no, you should get what you want right now. You shouldn't have to wait. You shouldn't have to get that sin out of your life. Who's he to be talking to you about how much you drink? Who's he, who, who's he to be confronting you on God? Who's she to be confronting you on gossip? She's gossiped before too, I promise. No, you say, you know what? This one kind of sucks. This one kind of hurts. This one kind of stings. And I need people in my life that I say, hey, you, you might need to take, <laughs> you might need to sit the next couple plays out. You're not ready. You're not ready for this. This is, I, I was prepared for fewer amens than normal today, just to be super clear with you. But what I wanted you to understand is this is the kind of church we have to be. Let me, let me tell you a story, and I'll end with this right here. I was listening to uh, John Bevere uh, a couple of days ago. Uh, a friend of mine gave me a message. It was Aaron gave me that message of John Bevere's. And he said, um, he said, there was a time in my life when I said, uh, Lord, why is there no anointing on my words? And why is there no power in my life? And he said, I mean, it was bothering me. I realized when I preached, my words would fall flat. When I'd lay hands on people, not much really ever happened. He said, I just wasn't walking in much power, and I knew it. And he was attached to a ministry that was walking in a ton of power. And he was like, Lord, what is going on in, in, in this situation? He said, so one day I was praying. I said, Lord, why do I not have more uh, anointing in my life? And he said, I mean, loud and clear. I heard the Lord say, because you tolerate sin. And as soon as he said that, he said to me, go to Hebrews 1.9. Let me read to you Hebrews 1.9. Starting verse 8, but to the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. Who got more oil? The one that didn't just love righteousness. Well, we believers, we love righteousness. I'm the righteous God in Christ Jesus. We love grace. We love mercy. We love all that stuff. But do we hate lawlessness? Do we have an appropriate tension between a love and a hate? As parents, do we love our kids? Are we tender with our kids? Are we connected to our kids? But equally, when our kids, when we, kids hear us say, if you do that one more time, you're in trouble, do they even believe you? Because have they ever even been in trouble? Did you ever follow through with the word? Do they understand? Are, are you training them that when you violate, when you violate authority, you're, in, you're walking towards pain? That's all you're teaching your kid. Hey, the wages of sin is death. 
And right now, I'm telling you to not throw stuff in the floor. But eventually, when the scripture says do this and don't, or don't do this, and you violate that, there's pain. <laughs> and it's, it's, a, it's a different kind of pain because the enemy doesn't have a, a boundary with his pain. He's coming to kill, to steal, and destroy. So what are we teaching our kids when we introduce a very mild amount of pain? Violate authority, in comes pain. So that when they get older and they see things in the scripture, they go, uh-uh. The word says to do this, I'm doing that. I ain't going after pain. There's two sides of this thing. And there's different gifts in the body that represent different ones. And the most important thing is that we never let our perspective of a thing cause us to divide. God gave apostles, Ephesians chapter 4 says, God gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, till we all come into the unity of the faith. There's different perspectives and different gifts. And I would propose, although I think in this particular situation, Paul was probably right, that's my opinion, but I'll tell you what's absolutely wrong, and it's walking away from the people God's called you to do life with, just because they don't agree with you, just because they don't see it your way. If we don't learn stuff like this, we'll be another product of what most of you in this room have seen. People bouncing from church to church to church to church. Now, mind you, I know there's bad leadership, and sometimes you need to move on. I'm not saying it's every time. But most people, they leave a church because they're offended, don't like something. It ain't a good leaving. I don't want that in our church. We've got to be thicker skinned than that. We've got to be tougher and have more clarity about the things that are most important to God. Amen? Thanks again for listening today. If you'd like to join us in person for church, Renew Life meets every Sunday morning at the YWCA at 6501 University Avenue in Lubbock, Texas. For more information on our ministry, check out renewlifechurch.com or find us on social media. We hope to see you soon.